Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher of Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at NGSports underscore. Had a little bye week there, a couple of pods at the end of the draft. You know, free agency was going to start, and we thought, oh, it could be quiet. So we'll just take a week off, 4th of July holiday. Obviously, that is not what happened, even though Barry Trotz told us over and over again that he did not love this free agent class. He went and spent almost $11 million on 37 years of NHL experience with three players. We'll get into exactly what the strategy is, why he's doing what he's doing, who Ryan O'Reilly, Luke Shen, and Gustav Nyquist are, what they bring to the team, and we'll dive into the lineup, what we think it could look like. I know you've got some interesting insight into Andrew Brunette's uh, deployment strategy and what we could expect to see out of this roster moving forward. Uh, and of course, a lot of stuff to get to on why this is all happening. Uh, strategically, I think is, it's fascinating. And oh, by the way, Matt Duchesne playing in the division. So we'll get to <laughs> we'll get to that all coming up a little bit later on today on the show. We do appreciate you guys sticking with us through the break. Uh, I needed a little breather there. Uh, I know we had a lot going on, but uh, it, hockey never rests. And we are you got development camp as well, so we can get a, we can get to a lot of that stuff on the show. However, before we do, the gold standard is brought to you by those great folks over at Jaspers. That's right. They got bingo night now. Do you see that? Oh, wow. They got bingo night on the... Stepping up their game. I believe starting this week, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, on the first, uh, the, excuse me, the second and fourth Thursdays. So basically every other Thursday, they are going to have uh, like four or five games of bingo in the game room. It's free to play. You show up and they've got gift cards and prizes. So it's the next evolution of the sports bar. It's got a free game room. It's got an elevated menu. It's got every possible seating arrangement you could ever need to ha- to host any type of event, a date night, a family night, a business meeting, a happy hour. doesn't matter. Great place to watch Preds games, of course. Proud partner of the National Predators. But now they are giving you free stuff. Just show up. <clears throat> Look, I'm verklempt. Show up. Play bingo. Get free stuff. There you go. What more, what more do you need? Go to Jasper's. All right. Were you surprised first and foremost with the amount of action that took place? Ryan O'Reilly, a 32-year-old center, of course, nine straight years with 54 points. Last year was his worst year in 10 years from a production standpoint. He was traded, uh, of course, from St. Louis, won a cup in 2019 to Toronto. Four years, $18 million. That's $4.5 million. And with all the moves, that makes him the fifth highest paid Nashville Predator on the roster uh, he will be 36 at the end of that contract. Luke Shen, uh, three years, $8.25 million. That's $2.75 million. Uh, a, a right-handed defenseman, of course, won two cups with Tampa Bay. He play, he is the ninth highest paid player on the team. He has played 14 years in the NHL, 33 years old, will be 36 at the end of the contract. You're starting to see a theme here. Gustav Nyquist, of course, two years, $6.37 million. That's 3.18 per AAV. That is the seventh highest paid player on the team. 10 years in the NHL, 33 years old, will be 35 at the end of his contract. Michael, do, do you see, are you sensing a trend with Barry Trotz's decision-making and how surprised were you that this was the strategy right out of the gate on as free agency opened? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was taken back because I literally looked Barry Trotz in the eyes inside Bridgestone Arena when he when he was talking to me and about four or five other reporters and said this free agent class basically sucks I don't expect us to be making any moves 
and then he also told us about some of the trade offers that he was some of the teams he was talking to about trades and stuff like that so i i anticipated the predators were going to be one of those teams that added through the through the trade route i i don't know i just i feel a little a little deceived barry i don't i don't like this feeling we're getting off on the wrong foot here with our reporter gm relationship but yeah i mean i'm surprised and look if this was 2019 these moves would be fantastic bringing in gustav nyquist Ryan O'Reilly, Luke Shed in 2019. This this would be a great free agent haul. But these guys are, I think, 32, 33, and 33. After you just got rid of Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne because they're both in their 30s and you're talking about how they're too slow and they don't really fit in with the makeup of the team, it was a little confusing. But then after hearing, hearing Barry talk a little bit, it kind of made some sense. He was talking about how Ryan O'Reilly is a serial winner and he wants to change the culture in the locker room and how talking about all the great things Ryan O'Reilly does. And I get it. He's like he's a model employee, basically, is why you, why you bring a guy like that in. And it was kind of it kind of made me think of when they traded for Cody McLeod a couple of years ago. And everyone's like, why are we why are we bringing this guy in? And we heard he's a great locker room guy. That's that's kind of what Barry Trotz is going for here. And that's not to say that Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson were like locker room cancers or anything. But I think David Poyle had. David Poyle ran this team a certain way, and there's things about that that Barry Trotz likes, and there's things about that that Barry Trotz wants to change. And I think with getting rid of Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne, bringing in Ryan O'Reilly and the other guys, I think Barry is showing everybody that he's not afraid to blow this up if he has to, but he's also not afraid to bring in guys that he wants, whether the fan base will like it, like it or not. I, I don't know how you can look at what is it, almost $10 million of dead deadish money, whether you want to call it buyout, uh, which this year it's only two and a half million for Duchesne, two million for Turris, and then four million for Johansson, and then a, you know a quarter of a mil for for Ekholm. You know you're talking about ten million dollars in buyout slash trade money, contract money that they're willing to keep to not have guys on the team when they go then sign a bunch of guys who are, again are very high quality players. Maybe a few years ago, still probably have plenty left in the tank. Although again, if you look at O'Reilly's numbers, extremely consistently between you know. 54 and, and 70 points a season for 10 years, except for last year when he only scored 30. Uh, you also have Luke Shen, who only played 51 games between uh, uh, the, the, the 2020 and 2021 seasons. It's obviously those are shortened by COVID. I get it. But and then Nyquist, like I could understand Nyquist and O'Reilly, maybe. And it does sound like O'Reilly could have gotten more elsewhere could have played a lot of different places, had a lot of options that Toronto was going to match the numbers, the term and the, and the value. So maybe he, you know, trots didn't think he could get him. And all of a sudden, Hey, it seems like this is a valuable asset that could teach us how to play. We, they do need a number one center. Let's be very clear, but I don't know how you can't take this as anything other than we desperately need goal scoring. So we're going to trade our top ever single season goal scorer and our top assist man, maybe one of the best ever in franchise history. We're going to move those two guys and spend a boatload of money to do it to then bring in a bunch of guys who are 32 years old. I don't know how you don't take that as a culture move. I don't know how you don't take it as a leadership move. And I don't know how it's not a massive slight to I, I think Ryan Johansson, you can talk injury. I think that's a more a more important part of this. You and I have talked about it. There's no way to know if Ryan Johansson was going to be coming back from that injury at 100%. And even 100% is really like 80% Ryan Johansson anyway. So that one I can, like, it was only $4 million per year for two years. Like, I, that one I think I can, it's very easy to explain. We've had the trouble explaining the Duchesne one. 
I don't think you can take this any other way than Barry Trotz wants to instill a brand new culture in this locker room and that Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson were not going to help in that process. And he had to figure out a way to go bring in some warm bodies to help with that process, help with leadership and, and maybe hopefully score some goals. But it's not like it's not like these three guys are going to combine for like 50 goals or anything, you know, like it's not it's they haven't yeah. solved their goal scoring <laughs> problems at all. And I and I think it was a it was a warning shot to the rest of the NHL and and prospective free agents and players of that nature that I think the Philip Forsberg contract is the last one we're going to see for a while that's going to be probably beyond four years and going to be over like twenty twenty five million dollars because Barry even said I forgot when it was one of the, one of the press conferences might have been uh, the pre draft one um, where he said basically like he's not in the business of giving out long term big money deals and I think ridding the predators of the Johansson and the Duchesne contracts, although Johansson's wasn't that bad considering there was only two years left. And and we, we talked about, you know, what happened with Matt Duchesne and how much money you're going to owe buying him out. But I think that was his way of getting rid of those contracts now, sucking it up, absorbing it now while you have the cap, while you have the cap room, you open up some doors for some young players and stuff like that. And you kind of make the most of a bad situation because really David Poyle is the one that built this. And I think Barry Trotz, this is Barry Trotz coming in and trying to wipe the slate clean best he can. Yeah. It sucks. It's going to cost you as much money as it, as it is to buy out Matthew Shane. Yeah. It sucks that you're going to be paying him more next year to not play for you than the Dallas stars are going to be paying him to play for them. It sucks. He went to a division rival. It sounds like he's highly motivated. Uh, if Ryan Johansson's yeah. fully healthy. He's going to a division rival as well. That's the, that's probably the worst part about this is that your two players you got rid of both went to division rivals. So you're still going to have to see them on a yearly basis. But I think with the free agents, they all clearly have a role to play. Luke Shen only played in 70 games last year, and he still led the NHL in hits. Looking at Ryan O'Reilly, you can question whether he still is a true number one center. On this team, he definitely is. And being the serial winner and having all, all the things Barry Trotz talked about, it's clear they wanted someone that can play with Philip Forsberg on the top line that they don't have to worry about. Because when you have, whenever you had Mikhail Granlin, when you had Ryan Johansson, like you always had some centers that were kind of in and out of the lineup. You didn't really know what was going on. And it was one of those things where you're just kind of like, well, Philip Forsberg clearly belongs on the top line, but who plays with him? And then you look at Gustav Nyquist. That one was a little surprising to me. Until Barry Trotz had his media availability uh, after the opening day of free agency. And he said, uh, Nyquist is a good player and a good teammate. He'll be a good complement to a guy like Cody Glass who needs a winger with a little more experience that can help him continue to grow. That shows me that they they believe in Cody Glass. I think getting Ryan O'Reilly, they weren't sold on Cody Glass as the number one center, at least for now. But going out and getting Gustav Nyquist, you're getting a proven 20 goal scorer that can play on a line with Cody Glass, probably the second line that has been around the league for a while that can help him, that can kind of mentor him. So each one of the free agent signings that they that they had, I feel like they all serve a purpose. And it's all part of this puzzle that Barry Trotz is putting together. Us right now, the media and the fans probably can't see the full puzzle right now. But I think Barry's got something that he wants. He's got a vision and he's clearly working to build it. I, and I don't even disagree. Like, I think I think if you're going to sit here and say, oh, Ryan O'Reilly's garbage, like, I think that's wrong. Like, I think he's a really good player. Oh, it absolutely is wrong. Yeah, he, he, I, he's, he's a perennial 20 to 25 yeah. goal, 55 to 60 point player. Like, 
that that's probably you want more you want that kind of production out of your second line center more than your first line center but when you have a young team with as many of these young forwards that we're probably going to see over the next year or two like you want the lead you'll take the leadership over the goal scoring with with a player like that yeah and, and that's the key like in a vacuum each of these three players is quite good at hockey <laughs> like they are very good players and it's very clear like it's not hard for me to see the puzzle they want to maintain some level of competitiveness because they have Soros, because they have Yossi, because they have Forsberg, they think they can still maybe compete for outside chance for a playoff spot. I don't necessarily see that on the roster anymore. But if guys are going to go out there and bust their ass for 18, 19, 20 minutes a shift every single game every for all 82, then you've moved on from Duchesne and Johansson at the right, for the right reasons. And that, again, that is about the leadership, the culture, the work ethic. There is an element here that we can get to that maybe these guys become trade chips at some point at the deadline if they need them to be to maybe get that money off the books moving forward. That's something to consider. I I, I don't think it should be like the reason you went and signed Ryan O'Reilly to an $18 million contract is, oh, we might be able to yeah. trade him in two years. But also uh, all three of those contracts are, are very flippable at a trade deadline. And I right, think that's right. the key part. There was no five, six, seven year contracts. They're all three, four, five years, $4 million or less. And it, it, someone like Ryan O'Reilly, yeah, Ryan. Someone like Ryan O'Reilly will be very valuable to a, a team pushing for the playoffs that needs a top six center. And if yeah. if it's not working out here, you can trade him, get some assets back too. And I think the thing I think Trot said this uh, on the opening day of free agency when he met with reporters. The thing that kind of struck stuck out to me was he said we're looking to keep our discipline. He was like, for the most part, we're looking for cultural pieces. We're looking for more short term people. Who can help us win, but at the same time, leaving enough room for young guys when they're ready. That to me shows that in Barry's mind, this isn't really a rebuild. He's trying to win now. And I think that's why he signed the three players we're talking about is because they all have a history of playing on teams that have won. And they also can help the Predators win now. Like the way this team is right now, I don't know if they're a playoff team, but if you told me that this 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 roster right now snuck into the playoffs next year, I wouldn't be that surprised. Well, I think a lot of that's going to come down to Andrew Burnett and the coaching staff, and we're going to get to that and what it means, because this is what it feels like. These these moves feel like, because again, I, it, it's very easy for us to just be like, oh, look, what are they doing with all these veterans and these money when they could have done this and they had a 40-goal score, blah, blah. I, I think all of these moves feel like moves that a second-place team makes to solidify itself as a championship contender. That's what this yeah. feels like. And but but we all know that is clearly not where this Predators team is. This is a before, after the Duchesne and Johansson moves, also getting rid of, oh, I don't know, Mikhail Granlin, Tanner Janot, Mikhail, or uh, Matias Ekholm. Like, they, they, they jettisoned a ton of veteran pieces and experience out of the locker room and, and a lot of money. Got a bunch of assets in return. Obviously, we're going yonder. This was a Arizona-Chicago-level team at that point. Now, what they've done is maybe they're, they've made moves to go from sixth place to competing for fourth place. Like that, that's, what, that's what this does. When it feels like this should be moves that a second place team makes to try to push itself over the top to get to that one spot. And that, that's just that's how they feel. It's not a knock on the players. I think the players are all very good. And here's, a, here's another way to look at it. If you, if you really need some, if you want me to spin this in like a very positive way for folks, here's how you can look at this. Ryan O'Reilly for Ryan Johansson. Okay. Two years, $8 million on the contract for what? A 30 year old, 31 year old for Ryan O'Reilly, who's four and a half million dollars. But basically you might get the same ish production from 
from Ryan O'Reilly as you might get from Ryan Johansson, and you think you've got a, a a more consistent leadership culture work ethic guy, right? You have traded Matias Ekholm at what was it six and a quarter a mil, million per season for a bunch of assets and Luke Shen at at two point seven five million because he's going to play on the top line, right? Like that. That's sort of how you have to view it. Like you've traded Ekholm in, at six million dollars for Luke Shen at three million dollars, give or take. And you've added assets, a first round draft pick. You added Tanner Molendyke with in, in that process. So, like, if you start to kind of work it through and do the calculus like that, the question is, you know, wins above replacement, right? Like, how much better is Matias Ekholm at six and a quarter over Luke Shen at two and three quarters? And I get Tanner Molendyke out of the deal as well. So, what what what's the? I say four million, and I get a first round draft pick. Can, how many wins is that worth? And then I don't know what the right comp is for Nyquist. I think maybe you have to take like Granlund and Janot and say we've traded Granlund and Janot for Nyquist, some assets and X amount of dollars, and 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 hope that you get that production back. I, I don't. Is that to me? That's if I'm spinning this as a Preds fan trying to see if they're a playoff team. Like that's the calculus I'm trying to do in my head. Yeah, and I, I think I think Nyquist probably produces more than Janot, but a little a little less than Granlin. I think that's kind of in between there. Yep. And I think something you got to keep in mind too: they still have eight point eight million dollars in salary cap space. Like they might not be done. I know Barry Trotz was was out there kicking the tires on Alex Debrinket. Um, I know that the Predators had been linked to Clayton Keller, which I don't I don't see the Coyotes moving him. Um, I mean, there had been rumors. Elliot Freeman mentioned that the Predators were interested in, in Vladimir Tarasenko. I mean, there's there's still there's still some players out there that they could go and, and get. There's also I don't want to fully discount restricted free agents because there are some good ones out there that like I mean, I know we talk about Trevor Zegers a lot, but there's also like Troy Terry. There's a couple other RFAs that you could go out and potentially offer sheet. Maybe you with the cap space you do have, maybe you offer them a little bit more than you probably would like to see if if, if a team doesn't want to match it. But I mean I, I feel like Barry Trotz, whether he pulls it off or not, because we saw with the draft, he wasn't afraid to be aggressive and go after what he wanted. I think there's another move that Barry Trotz is trying to get for another score. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but I think it's something to keep in mind, too. When you have almost $9 million in cap space, Barry Trotz doesn't seem like the kind of GM that's OK sitting there with just $9 million in the bank not using it. I, I, that's true, but you have to consider how much the buyout for Duchesne goes up over the course of the next two years. Now, of course, if you make a trade, some 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 stuff could come off the books, right? Certain certainly that stuff could could move off the books. But right now, as on, on paper in in next season, not this coming season, but next season, you got five and a half for Duchesne, two for Turris, four for Johansson. I mean, that, that's almost twelve million dollars plus Ekholm. That's twelve million dollars that's not playing for you next year, and yeah. the year after, and the year after that, it gets a little it, it's a little bit better because Duchesne or uh, excuse me, Johansson comes off the books. But you're still at six and a half for Duchesne, two million for Turris. My God, the gift that keeps on giving. That's still eight and a half, almost nine million dollars with Ekholm is still in the books for the following year. So if you're looking to sign somebody big, like Tarasenko's still available at time of taping. If you're looking to sign somebody, like he's got a lot of flexibility this year, and that's why he went out and got O'Reilly, Shen, and Nyquist. I also wouldn't discount someone like like we looked at Nito Niederreiter last year, two years, four million per year. Yeah. I think that's that's the kind of contract Barry's looking to sign someone that is it's not you're not locked into a long term deal. It's a very affordable salary and and you can you can flip him at the trade deadline if need be. I think that's what they're looking at. And you also got to keep in mind, too, next year with Jakob Trenin, 
with Jankowski, McCarron, Sherwood, Cole Smith. I mean, there's about $6 million in salary right there. You also have Tyson Berry coming off the books at $4.5 million, Carrier at $2.5 million. There, there's, there's money to play around with next year. Obviously, you're going to need some of those pieces back to fill out a roster, but may, maybe you don't. I mean, maybe you call up half of the Milwaukee Admirals after this season in 2024, yeah. and, and you get rid of all those guys, and you're saving with all those those guys I just mentioned. Maybe you're saving the $12 million you need right there. I mean, it's it's very interesting. They have options. I'm not saying that Barry Trotz is going to use all the $8.8 million in salary cap space, but I think he has it. And I think he wants to use it to upgrade the roster. That, that's all I'm saying. I wouldn't be surprised if another move yeah. came, whether it's a trade or whether he signs someone to a, a Nino Niederreiter contract. And and Tyson Berry is sort of the forgotten guy in all of this because uh, that's four and a half million. They Barry also tra- have a log jam at, on, on defense. Yes, they have so, like eight defensemen for, uh, vying for six spots. So I wouldn't be surprised if Tyson Berry gets traded sometime in the next month or two. Stealing all my content, Michael. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, he Sorry. is the... He's he's in the last year of a deal. He's four and a half million. He's a puck moving guy who can play on the power play. Like he's a very movable piece at the deadline as well. I I think stepping back from kind of the specifics, because I do want to get into what we think the starting lineup could actually look like. I know you've got some stuff coming on Nashville hockey. Now go to Jaspers, of course, everybody for bingo night. How great is that? I think you should just do. I think what they should do is bingo night with like the Preds starting forwards. (laughs) <laughs> and just and just see if they can get it right. Like here's, you know, you got like the top three rows and the top four lines, and then just see if they can get it right. Who has uh, Evangelista? Evangelista <laughs> on the bingo card. Um, or you could have you could have Trots MC it and be like bingo with Barry. Yes, yes there you go. Uh, so go to Jasper's. I, I think what's interesting is, and this is what I love about sports in general and trying to analyze this stuff. Like none of us know what I do like if I'm a Preds fan, and and what I am trying to not sell myself, but sort of understand is that there is a clear line in the sand of, of a new generation and a new era and a new direction and a new vision and a new culture. It, there is every single major important piece from the cup run and from the years following the cup run, when David Poyle made a bunch of moves that we now look back on as highly questionable, other than Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi, and I don't even I would not call UC Soros a major piece of of the 17 team or the 18 team. Uh, you know, until Pekka retired, he was not a major piece. Outside of those two players, every single major piece of this club has been changed. The head coach has been changed twice. The assistant coaches are gone. The top two centers are gone. The highest single scoring goal scorer is gone. Matthias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, PK Subban, they're all gone. The GM's gone. The GM is gone for the first time in franchise history. There is a very clear line in the sand. Now, the controlling owner is about to be about to switch hands, too. There you go. So I I think if I'm a Preds fan, I am refreshed by that. But it doesn't mean it's going to work. We just don't know. And I think that is what's interesting to me. If I'm a Preds fan, I'm going, look, they are going wholesale here. And if they're going to go wholesale, I'm buying in. I'm willing to go on this ride with you, Barry. Let's see where it goes. And and that's it. Because all these moves to get rid of Duchesne, if he scores 38 goals and Dallas wins the division, you don't think fans are going to be pissed off at Barry Trotz? Of course they he, are. He ain't scoring 38 goals in Dallas. I'm, I'm not I'm not predicting. I think that. he can get up to 30, and especially depending on who, what line he's playing with and who he's playing with. But I I, I think Duchesne is, is – he peaked two years ago. I think he's a 25 to 30 goal scorer. But be, that being said – wouldn't you rather those 25 to 30 goals be scored for you as opposed to against you? <laughs> right, right. And this is what I'm saying. There are going to be moments where it is going to look bad and fans are going to be upset in the short term at Barry Trotz. 
if they miss the playoffs, if they get smoked by Ryan Johansson when Ryan Johansson is extra motivated for five games this year, he's going to play really hard in five games this year, of course, when he plays the Nashville Predators. Matt Duchesne scores 28 goals this year. I don't care what the number is. You've paid him almost $3 million to go score 30 goals for your division rival. Like, that's what's happened. Like, that's it. So, yeah. And so there's going to be moments where fans are going to go, you're going to have to hold your nose and you're going to have to just deal with it because this was part of the plan. It's going to be a 24 to 36 month, two to three year evaluation of Barry Trotz and Andrew Burnett. We're not going to know, even if they do well this year and they're ahead of schedule, we're still not going to know if it's the right strategy or the right plan for a good, I think, two to three years. And so fans have to be patient. They have to watch the young kids develop. They have to see what they do at the deadline. They've got to see how many more assets they acquire, how well the draft picks develop in the farm system. How did people look at development camp, Michael? You know, like these are the things, <laughs> these are the things that you have to focus on because the plan is now the process and you have to trust the process. And we are going to evaluate Barry Trotz and Andrew Burnett on the process. And and on paper, this looks like it, it looks like they're on the right track. It looks like they have the right process. But also, we were saying last year on paper that, that this was David Poyle's best offseason as general manager, bringing in Nino Niederreiter and all the moves that he did. And we hyped up this team, me in particular, because I said they could they could finish second or third in the division. And then look what happened. So I I, th- I think it's and it's not something that the Predators fan base is known for, but I think they're going to have to have patience. It's And if you look at what the lineup could be, and we'll get into the specifics of that in a minute. If you look at what the lineup could be, if you have young guys like Evangelista and Tomasino that are that are getting some playing time, maybe Afanasiev, I don't know, maybe there's so many defensemen out there that that are on the team. I mean, if you look at what this team could be on paper, it looks like they could potentially be not you're not looking at a Chicago Blackhawks, Arizona Coyotes level of bad. So, I mean, it, it depends on I guess it just depends on how the fan base looks at this. Are they okay? with being a bad team next year for the sake of three or four of the young top prospects getting a full year playing time and development and then potentially being good the following year? Are you okay with, you know, having a number 10 or a top 10 draft pick because you had a bad team this year and getting another good player next year? Like they're, they're, you have to consider all of these things. I don't think this team will be that bad. I don't think they'll be that good. I think they'll probably be a, a mediocre team next year. But honestly, that that's kind of what we should expect with all the moves that Barry Trotz has made. And he's yeah. even told us that. Uh, let me ask you this. So O'Reilly and Nyquist, um, that is $7.7 million, which is virtually identical to the number that Alex DeBrincat got. Um, and I think it was a first round pick and some prospects that Detroit gave up to get him. That was a four year annual uh, value of $7.8 million. Would you rather have Alex DeBrincat for that amount of money or would you rather have O'Reilly and Nyquist? Oh, I'd rather have Alex Debrinka <laughs> because he's a two-time forty-goal scorer and he's going to put up more points. But I mean, you know. So what are we doing? They have extra your, draft capital. Battles. What are we doing? I, I don't think that Alex Debrinka was truly in play. I mean, he might have he might have said, "Okay, I'll I'll go to Nashville." That might have been all it was. Alex Debrinka wanted to be in Detroit. I don't think he signs for seven point eight million dollars anywhere else but Detroit. If he goes <laughs> anywhere else, that cap hits way over eight million. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, and then Tarasenko's still out there, and of course, Duchesne signs for $3 million with Dallas. So I just want to keep reiterating. Tarasenko's interesting. I mean, he's not what he used to be when he was dominating with the Blues, but I think he could still be a productive 25-goal, 55, 60-point second-line winger. 
So let me, we'll get into the forward projections here in, in just a moment, but let's start. Cause I know you've got some stuff coming on Andrew Burnett and sort of what, how he's going to deploy these guys. Cause it truly is. And, and I'm glad that you're going to explain what you're going to explain because I tried to do a starting lineup multiple times and I have no effing clue what, what other than like maybe out, out of the, out of the 12 forward spots, I can maybe pinpoint three, <laughs> which is nuts. Uh, but let's start on the defense before we get into sort of what brunette strategy is going to be and all this stuff. And again, remember, go to Jasper's, everybody. Proud sponsor of this show and partner of the Nashville Predators, Bingo Nights, on the second and fourth Thursdays. Uh, I believe that's starting up this week, of course, uh, on the 13th, depending on when you're listening to this. They got gift cards. They're going to give away free stuff. You got the great game room in there. They got the big screen. So if there's anything happening... Uh, in sports, they're going to have it on there. So make sure you go check it out. Great drink specials, the whole deal. They're giving away gift cards, free stuff at Jasper's free parking, uh, great food, the next evolution of the sports bar. So go check out Jasper's, everybody. Uh, quickly, if you're pulling out your hair, trying to figure out a lineup like we are, go to Jasper's and have a couple $3 beers. Uh, That'll help you. That will uh, $3 beers always helps. There's no question about that. <laughs> so let me ask you if you think the defense lineup is is sort of set-ish, as, as unpredictable as the forward group p- could be. And you're going to explain why in a second. It does feel like, is, is it Yossi and Luke Shen on the top line? Left Yossi, Shen right, McDonough left, Tyson Berry right, the second blue line pairing. And then you still have Carrier, Fabro, Lozon, and then, of course, you sign Livingston, who we both are kind of interesting in from a talent standpoint. Uh, there's obviously some other prospects that got some some cups of coffee last year as well. So there is a bit of a bottleneck. But but the problem is, is there's a lot of bodies. I'm not sure they have really high quality options and definitive roles unless I'm wrong. And it's clearly Yossi, Shen, McDonough, Barry. And then you still have Kerry and Fabro with as far as talent goes, that's a very talented third pairing. You'd be asking Kerry to play on his offhand. But then you pay, you paid eight million dollars to Jeremy Lozon. So what, what is going on here? Yeah, it's tough trying to figure this out. To me, I think Shen is the natural fit with Yossi on the top pairing because I mentioned he led the NHL in hits last year. Very physical defenseman. Roman Yossi tends to take a lot of cheap shots from opposing teams. And that's just part of the nature of the game when you're on the rush a lot and when you are one of those offensive defensemen that plays almost as much at the opposing net as you do in front of your own net like Yossi does. You're going to take some shots like that. I think they brought in Shen specifically to give Roman Yossi a running mate that can have his back, that is not afraid to go over there. And if he takes a shot that's unwarranted or whatever, to go over there and give it to the other guy. I think that that's, that that pairing makes perfect sense. McDonough and Yossi, I, I would hate to see them split up because they played so well together last year. But it almost just feels like you have to, to, to balance all three of the pairings. So I would go McDonough and Barry. To me, that makes the most sense because Barry is more of an offensive kind of defenseman. Probably will put up, you know, 30, 40 points. McDonough's more of your stay-at-home defenseman. The, the pairing just makes sense. And then I think uh, Carrier and Fabro. And again, you, you traded a second-round pick and you gave $8 million to Jeremy Lozon. You, you would hate to see him just sitting on the bench, but it's almost like, where are you going to put him? He's not better than any of the six defensemen ahead of them. Right. Fabro and Carrier, to me. And also, too, look, you have both of those guys under contract next year. And then the year after, Carrier's the UFA. Fabro's an RFA. You have to make a decision. I don't think you're going to have both of them. Maybe you put them together and see which one plays better, and that tells you who you're going to roll with the next year. I don't know. And Livingstone, the guy, the guy is good enough to compete for the top one of the top six spots. He's probably going to be in Milwaukee just because there's too many. There's a logjam on the blue line. 
But honestly, like I would, I would probably go with Livingstone. I would definitely go with Livingstone over Lozon. I'd probably go with him over one of really? Perrier and Fabro too. Really? Wow. Jeremy Lozon is a big puck moving defenseman. He may not, he may not put up Shea Weber type numbers. I think whenever, whenever one hears big puck moving defenseman, they normally naturally think of Shea Weber. But watching this kid at development camp and the couple games that that I saw him last year, and even watching him in college. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of high on the guy. I think he will be a solid second or third pairing defenseman. And when you watch Alex Carey and Dante Fabro, the feeling is they just leave you wanting more. Jake Livingstone hasn't had enough time to do that, so maybe it's a little bit of a recency bias of like we've had two years of Carey and Fabro kind of not producing the way everyone wants them to. But I think Livingstone's going to be a good player, and it just it kind of kind of feel for him. He's going to be starting in Milwaukee, but. I, well, I think he has. I mean, he's the only one with the two-way contract and is younger and cheaper. So I think what you do is you've given yourself flexibility to decide between Carrier, Fabro, and Lozon. I do think they have too many, not too many, but like I would put Yossi, Barry, and Carrier all into the same kind of category stylistically. And then you have Shen and McDonough. And the question is, do you have a third guy who can be the big physical stay-at-home lockdown defender that you could package with potentially Carrier? And I don't know if they've got that guy. Lozon, right Lozon might actually be the, the the best version of that when you compare him to Carrier and Fabro. But, but he's clearly not talented as talented as Carrier and Fabro. Carrier and Fabro are making more money. I think the key is you got to figure out what you've got with those with those three guys. Figure out who's better, who you like. You can move Tyson Berry if you need to at the deadline. You could probably move Carrier and Fabro, Fabro with their very team-friendly contracts and not a lot of term on them. You could also like, move Lozon. It may, maybe that one's that that would still be what like you'd have at the deadline you'd have two and a half years and four and a half million but it's on only a, it's only a two million dollar cap hit for yeah. for a defenseman that could play on your second pairing if you needed him to. I mean, and and look, Lozon was I think top five in the, in the in the NHL in hits when they traded for him. Like he he's he's a a less talented version. I don't mean that in a mean way. He's a less talented version of Luke Shen. Basically, you're not going to get the second round pick back for him, but you can probably get a fourth or a fifth round pick at the deadline for Lozon. I, I maybe and and again, if you're going to say that Lozon could be a, t- a second line pairing for somebody, then you got to say that he could be a second line pairing for this team. So you got to treat him treat him equally here. I think Barry's the one that. Like Carrier, Fabro, Barry, Lozon, to your point, I think there's clearly a chance one of them has moved at the deadline and they try to decide who they want long term out of this group. Right. And it's not it's not Tyson Barry long term. He, he'd be he's a temporary solution. But if they truly believe in Livingston, Livingstone and and they love Carrier and Livingstone together. Boom. Let's let's ride. Right. Let Carrier can play on the left. Livingstone can play on the right. You're good to go. Um, You know, so like that, I think that in their perfect world, they'd love to see two of these four guys kind of truly step in and, and and take control of the jobs. And then they know they can move some pieces and they've got some depth. Uh, but right now it feels like they have a lot of bodies, some interesting upside, but not a lot of set star power other than, than Roman Yossi. I, you know, McDonough's very good at what he does, but it doesn't draw a lot of box score headlines. And then I yeah. think, Shen, and I think Shen is absolutely, they went and tried to get someone to pair with Yossi to, match them into a pairing, which is, which is great. That's fine. That's good strategy by Barry Trotz if it works out. So um, that, that is the, that's the defense core. And that was a far easier conversation than the one we're about to have. <laughs> so we, before we get into uh Jasper's predators, winger forward bingo uh, on the show, go to Jasper's um, and we'll take some guesses and some stabs. I think there's a few names here that we can predict accurately where they're going to be, but 
I think, and you're working on this story for right now for Nashville Hockey Now, but there we, we do have to consider Andrew Brunette as a new coach and what his strategy could be in deploying lines before we even start to think about how to pair up some of these players. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. And, and the thing with Andrew Burnett is I don't feel like he's the same mold as a Peter Laviolette or a John Hines or even a Barry Trotz when he was the head coach. I think Andrew Burnett is kind of this new breed um, if you will, I don't know what you want to call him, uh, of, of a head coach. And what, what was interesting to me and what kind of inspired the story I'm working on now is uh, I think it was the day after the first round of the draft. He was doing a radio hit with 102.5. And our, our buddy Adam Vingan asked him about what the top six was going to look like and who he had penciled in there. And the quote, which was interesting to me, he said, I think it's hard right now to really kind of pencil in guys as spots. I kind of look at more of a top nine, top 12 kind of thing. The top six sometimes gets a little overrated in a lot of different ways, especially with the way that I like to move my lines around. To me, that what that what that indicates to me is that he's not going to sit here and be like, this is the top six. These are the six best forwards we have. This is who we're rolling with. I think we'll see a lot of what kind of Seattle did last year, especially down the stretch, where they were moving pieces and moving guys all on their lines. They didn't really have a, a one, two, three, four lines. You know, you would have a first line one night and then the, the next night, the first line would maybe have one of those three players on it. And they and that, that was the, the good part of their roster was all all of their forwards were really good. They all played similar ways to where they can mix and match pieces and they can mix and match lines. And it worked regardless of who they had on there. I think that's kind of the goal for Andrew Burnett is to have solid lineups where you can mix and match guys, plug a guy in on the first line and move him to the third line. And you still get the same production every time. And I think that's kind of what we're looking at with what he, with the lineup that he's going to field. He did say, he did mention Philip Forsberg, obviously Forsberg will probably be on the top line. He did mention <laughs> Tommy Novak and, and Yusuf Parson as well as guys that, that have an opportunity to play in the top six. And he did mention Colton Sissons. He said, Sissons is, I quote, the perfect flex guy where he can move up and down. He can be a top six forward. He can be a shutdown fourth liner, or he can play on the third line and check. There's a lot of moving parts to this. And I, I think that's interesting that I don't think we're going to see Colton Sissons be the, the staple of the herd line like he has been. I think we could see Sissons on the second line or on the fourth line, or he can, he'll bounce around the lineup. And I think that's what Andrew Burnett's looking for is who fits in where, who plays well with who, and who can he move around multiple times and still get the same production out of him. I think that's fair. I think that's valid. I think the way the NHL is going is you need a little bit more production from your third and fourth lines than you ever needed before in this game. But but also when you look at the best teams, there's a very clearly defined star power element to the top two lines that score a bunch of goals. And then you've got roles for the other other lines that can create. Um, I, I think, you know, I but I so I see those two sort of forces at play in the NHL. And what I heard him say in that quote is that he doesn't have enough dudes. That that's what I heard him say is that he doesn't know who's good enough to play up there yet. Could also um, be true, and that's a part of it. I think it can be both. I think two things can be true. I have a a strategy and a philosophy of flexibility and movement, and and I want people to know everything about every role and and be be able to sort of play positionless hockey, right? For lack of a better term. Also, we just traded all of our best pieces and cut all of our best pieces and are buying out all of our best pieces. And we just don't know exactly what we've got yet with some of these young players. Let me, let me, let's start, let's start the process here. Is it safe to say that Philip Forsberg and Ryan O'Reilly are the two pieces that we know the most about that are going to play on the top line at center and wing? Is that, do you feel comfortable with Forsberg and O'Reilly starting 
almost most games as the top center and the top winger on the top line. Yeah, I think that's a safe assumption. Okay, which means Cody Glass is probably your second line center, or do you think there's Tommy Novak, Yusuf Parsonen, and if you believe uh, Barry Trotz and Andrew Burnett, Gustav Nyquist, to me, could have been penciled in as the right winger with Forsberg and O'Reilly on the top line, because that's probably your three best players at that at that at that time yeah but he mentioned playing with glass so what what do you make of the second is is, let's start with glass is that your predicted second line center at this point or is there somebody else no i think i think cody glass is the the second line center just with how much they're talking about him how much they're investing in him and i think gustav nyquist is probably going to be one of his wingers just because of of what barry trotz said but also Andrew Burnett's coaching the team, not Barry Trotz. So if Andrew Burnett sure. thinks that Gustav Nyquist is going to be a better scorer on the first line with Forsberg and O'Reilly, that's probably where he's going to put him. I think where, it. I think, think it just depends. I, I think he starts on the second line with Glass. I wouldn't be surprised if by game four or five he's on the first line. It's like trying to spread out your veteran presence, and then eventually you're like, okay, we got to score a goal. <laughs> yeah, you have to have balanced scoring. I mean, that's the reason why you rarely saw Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves playing on the same line in Chicago. They were always split up on the first two lines because you have to have balanced scoring. And if you if you load up and you put Forsberg, O'Reilly, and Nyquist, who are probably going to be your top three goal scorers on the first line, you, you're basically trying. You you have a really good first line, but two, three, and four, you're trying to figure it out. And I think it, it would it would behoove the Predators to put Nyquist on the second line with glass to, to have that balance scoring. And like, like Barry said, like he's going to be an experienced winger. That's going to be able to help mentor Cody glass. So is Yuzo Parson in your third line center or is it Colton Sissons? My third line center, me personally, I would put Tommy Novak, Tommy Novak. I would have, I would have, I put my, I tweeted out my lineup on, on Twitter. And my first line was Forsberg O'Reilly and I actually had Luke Evangelista. Well, I'm, then, I'm, get, I'm getting to Evangelista. I'm getting there. Well, I'm just I'm just saying. And then my second line, I had Cody Glass as the second line center with Yuso Parson as his winger. And I had Tomasino, but now it makes more sense to have Nyquist there. So I would I would probably put Parson and Glass and Nyquist as my third as my second line. Okay. So here here's what I I had Parson and down as a third line center potentially, which is certainly a possibility. If they want to keep training and systems together, that could be your third line. That's been the third line for a while, but yeah. there's a but there's a new coach. I, I find it interesting between Tomasino and Evangelista, who both could be playing right wing. You could put Tommy Novak over on the left wing as well if you wanted to. Um, Parsonen could play on the left wing, like you said. I, I find the, the debate interesting between uh, is Evangelista ready, which it seems like he might be, and then Tomasino, who seems like he clearly needs to be playing regularly. Are they good enough to be on your top six? Uh, or is it... And, and and are they... This is the Tolvanen debate. like. If you put Evangelista down on the third and fourth line or Tomasino down on the third and fourth line, are you doing them a disservice with their skill level? Because I think guys like Novak, Parsonen, those guys can play down on those lines and maybe fit in a little bit more if in a more traditional lineup. We just don't know what Brunette's going to do. So what do you make of Evangelista and Tom- Tomasino being prepared and ready for top six winger minutes? Yeah, I think Tomasino's ready. The, the guy had a full season in the NHL two years ago. He was he was really good in the regular season for the Admirals last year. Kind of struggled a little bit in the playoffs, but once they got to the Western Conference final, he was he started to score some goals and really kind of come into his own. And there was there was no reason for him to really show out in the playoffs because that Admirals lineup was pretty loaded. You had a lot of guys. Joachim Kemmel was going out there scoring a bunch of goals. Evangelista was going off. So 
I don't worry too much about that. I do think Tomasino's ready. Whether he's ready for a top six role, I'm not sure. I, I think you, you got to throw him out there and at least try it. You don't want to get to the Ellie Tolbinen thing where he's he's an uber talented prospect, and then you you keep you keep being afraid to pull the trigger on putting him in the top six and letting him just go out there and sink or swim. So I think I think you gotta you gotta pull the trigger with Tomasino Evangelista. I. I go back and forth. I'm on the fence whether he's actually NHL ready or not. I don't know if he's ready for a top six role again, but I think he I think he could make the jump to the NHL next year and he could be okay. But again, the same thing we used to say with, with uh, Tolvanen is he needs to play with other really talented forwards. So if you're going to put Luke Evangelista, and I worry about him a little bit more than Philip Tomasino, if you're going to put Luke Evangelista in a lineup, he needs to be playing with Philip Forsberg and Ryan O'Reilly or Cody Glass and Gustav Nyquist. He needs to be in the top six in order for him to succeed, in my opinion. I agree. So here, here's here's my guess as to what happens. Because I think Evangelista is one of your nine best forwards. If you told me who are the nine best forwards for the Nashville Predators right now today on paper, it is Philip Forsberg, Ryan O'Reilly, Cody Glass, Gustav Nyquist, Yuso Parsonen, Tommy Novak, Philip Tomasino, probably Colton Sissons, Yakov Trenin, and Luke Evangelista. I think that's nine. I don't know if my math serves me correct. But what I think happens is, is you take Evangelista out, and I, I think I said Tommy Novak. But if uh, my guess is, is that Luke Evangelista is the odd man out because I think I named ten guys there, and Evangelista starts in Milwaukee, and then your top nine is some combination of Forsberg, O'Reilly, Glass, Nyquist, Novak, Tomasino, Parson, and Trent, and Sissons. Is that right? Did I get it all? I think that I, I think, think I got that, it right. I think that math adds up. Yeah. Which means you've got Jankowski, McCarron, Sherwood, Smith, your boy, Cole Smith, still sitting there battling for those last three spots if Evangelista stays in Milwaukee. Afanasiev, I think, could be pushing for okay. a roster spot out of camp, too. I, I mean, there's there's definitely options. And I think I think we will see if Barry Trotz and Andrew Burnett are committed to actually letting the young guys play. Or if you look at the bottom six and it's littered with Michael McCarrens and Cole Smith, I think they're they're still a little bit of holding on to let's go with the guys that have the experience because we really want to try to win now. But I mean, it's it, it, on, on the Nashville Hockey Now Twitter account, we ran a poll and we asked, are are you guys okay with a top six that includes in no particular order, Philip Forsberg, Ryan O'Reilly, Cody Glass, Gustav Nyquist, Yuso Parson, and Tommy Novak? Because that seems like the logical top six with guys that are just on the roster right now. Tom, Tomasino's not Tomasino's not one of those top six. Well, he finished the year in in Milwaukee, and we're uh, and he and Evangelista, okay. we just, we just kind of kept them in Milwaukee right now. Okay, okay, that's fair. That, but that's the top six out of the guys that are on the roster, the Preds roster right now. And seventy point seven percent of the people that voted said yes, they want to let the kids play. Twenty nine point three percent said no, add another score. I I thought it would be closer to fifty fifty. But it seems to me, at least out of the people that voted on, on the, that poll, that they're okay with letting some of the young guys try to take hold of these top six spots. I mean, who knows if it'll work out or not. So if Nyquist moves up to right wing on the top line with Forsberg and O'Reilly, that leaves you with Parson and Glass and Novak, basically three centers, potentially, yeah. all playing on, on that second line. And I'm sorry, those I like all three of those guys. There are lots of things to like about Cody Glass's development last year. There's lots to like about the physicality and the size that Parson plays with and the energy and intensity that Tommy Novak brings on a shift-in, shift-out basis. And frankly, you cannot, like, the production was there for Tommy Novak. Can he repeat it, a la Tanner Janot? We'll see. But you, you are not, uh, this is not meant to be disrespectful because I like all three of those guys. You are not winning a lot of hockey games 
with a Novak, Parson, and Glass second line. You're just not. You're I think not. if that's the case, if that if that was the case, and we're going with the, with those guys as the top six, it would make more sense to put Nyquist on the second line and maybe put Parson in on the top line just to spread out the scoring and balance them a little bit. I agree. And then that leaves you with Trennan, Sissons, Sherwood, Smith, McCarron, Jankowski, Afanasiev, and that means that Tomasino and Evangelista are both in Milwaukee. So I think I think that I think what you want in a perfect world is by midseason, Tomasino and Evangelista are on the wing on the top two lines. That's what you want by midseason. Oh, and for that, sure. That way, when you put Parson in and Novak on the third line, you've got some punch. You've got some juice there in the third line, and it feels like you've brought up a higher end talent and then still added value to your third line as well. And, and then that still gives you flexibility with Colton Sissons to play him wherever the hell you want to because he's Colton Sissons. Still one yeah. of my still one of the most underrated players on the team, in my opinion. <laughs> I think if if best case scenario, if this was me running the team, this is how my my lineup would look. Top line would be Forsberg, O'Reilly, and Evangelista. Second yeah. line would be Tomasino, Glass, and Nyquist. Third line would be Sherwood, Novak, and Parsonen. And the fourth line would be Trennan, Sissons, and as much as I hate to say it, Cole Smith, because he's not, <laughs> he's not going anywhere. And and between him and Michael McCarron. And Jankowski, he probably makes the most sense with with the way Trent and decisions play. So that would be my that would be my my twelve forwards, dude. So here was like uh, this is what I wrote down like my perfect scenario and then like my projected scenario. And I projected Evangelista being in Milwaukee, but this is what I wrote down, and it's very it's very it's Forsberg, O'Reilly, Evangelista, which is exactly what you had. It's Nyquist, Glass, and Tomasino. It is Novak, Parson, and Sherwood, Trenton, Sissons, Smith. Like it's almost like I think it's identical to what you you, you it said. is, yeah. So I, I think that but that is I think I think that's the perfect lineup for potentially hopeful of 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 growing two top six forwards and Evangelista and Tomasino while also still right. kind of being competitive. Right. I think I think that is a perfect dream scenario. Yeah. That, that they are all good enough to be playing in those roles by let's say Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, something like that. Like by by the month, by the third month of the season, they've outgrown the AHL and they are clearly ready for top six minutes and are up producing. Evangelista showed me a lot last year. I mean, I, you know, is he ready? Probably not, but I think he showed everything you could possibly show in that situation, playing way above his sort of, I want to say, quote unquote, weight limit. I think the thing with him, he, he the consensus is he's probably not ready, but he showed enough last year to at least give him the chance to prove it. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. And, and then you're looking at also too that that would probably be the ideal lineup. What we just mentioned by midseason, towards the end of the year, you could possibly have Joachim Kemmel, um, Zachary Larue. I mean, yep. Igor Afanasiev. There's three other forwards that could potentially work their way into the lineup at some point. Who knows? Uh, last but not least, we'll wrap up here. Go to Jasper's, of course. Make sure you check out Nashville Hockey now. You can follow us on the Twitter machine at Braden Gall at MG Sports underscore at, at 440 Sports. Um, uh, go to Jasper's. I think I've said that a few times. Um, I- I'm just curious if you had any major takeaways from development camp other than I am going to scream from the rooftops because I know he was a very divisive prospect, but I am going to scream from the rooftop. I think I did it the first night after the first round. I think I did it on the podcast on the next day. I think I'm going to do it from here on out. Tanner Molendyke is real. Okay. <laughs> the, the dude is real. The he is a real person. He is very, he's a very real human. <laughs> he's got the wheels. He's got the confidence. I don't know if that means he's going to be great, but man, Molendyke is still the name that stands out to me from the draft a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's, he was the player that I probably noticed the most during development camp and during the future stars game. 
just his his ability to to kind of just be all over the place, be everywhere. He, I think he, and I, I use this comparison. We were talking during the draft about Axel Sandin Pelica, but he gives me a little bit of Ryan Ellis vibes. Like he's a little bit of a smaller guy. He's very quick. He's got a good shot. Like he can be all over the place. I think he'll, I think he'll, he's a little bit of a better, um, better moving, more fluid defenseman than that. But I think Tanner Molendek's the guy that really stood out. Um, Matthew Wood didn't really do a lot to stand out, but during the future stars game, he did score a goal. That was just like a booming shot that I don't remember who the goalie was just, just did not have a, any chance to stop. I think Matthew Wood is one of those high risk, high reward type players. He could be best case scenario with Tage Thompson, but he could also he could not be that. I don't I don't know. I, I think it just depends on how he develops. But I think he's someone I see the potential and I see why they took a, a quote unquote big swing on him. But I think the two first rounders really really stood out. And then I also really like Kalen Lind. I don't know where he fits on this team. I don't know what his role would be, but he reminds me of Jordan Tutu. He's that tenacious player that's going to just piss the other team off. He's going <laughs> to go out there. He's going to mix it up with everybody. He's going to get into puck battles. He's going to do everything he can to just really get under the other team's skin. So I really like Kalen Lind. I think maybe he'll yeah. be a bottom six player in a couple of years, but I really, I really like the potential he has as kind of you know, I hate using the identity, but as as that kind of identity player yeah. for the team. Well, uh, thanks to everybody for hanging out with us. We do appreciate it. Make sure you check out all of Michael's work over at Nashville Hockey Now. You can get to me at Braden Gall. Tell me all my takes are terrible. Uh, make sure you're subscribed as well to It's All Your Fault with Jeremy K. Gober. He had a great conversation with John Glennon on that podcast as we are partnered with The Scene in the Post. Um, so lots of great stuff out there still covering the Nashville Predators all summer long. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We're always here other than our one bye week last week. That's all. We just took our one off week, uh, and uh, otherwise we're back. And uh, we still got plenty of fun stuff to do on the show. So I know the season and training camp's not not for a month and some change, but, like, we still got lots of stuff to discuss, and not the least of which is what the hell is the lineup going to look like? <laughs> so so uh, we appreciate you guys coming along for the ride. We do appreciate it. For Michael, I am Braden. Thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Go to Jaspers, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>